This week's episode of The Dive is brought to you by Pelican Brewing. For nearly 30 years, Pelican Brewing has crafted the most balanced-tasting brews. Now, they're bringing the same satisfying taste to hop-infused sparkling water, with zero alcohol and zero calories. Sparkle Hops is a hop and fruit-infused new way to elevate your everyday. Expertly brewed from hops in two flavors, Citra Hop-infused sparkling water with lemon, and Strata Hop-infused sparkling water with acai. Start with a sip and breeze away with the balance of quality hops, ripe fruit, and punchy fizz. Refreshment, it's a pelican thing. Welcome to the Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all, enjoy the show. For someone who proudly lives a life of crime, what does it mean to be rehabilitated? And who decides? That's the question Lucas Manfield's cover story, The Redemption of Robert King, asks about an aging career criminal as he approaches possible parole. King has served more than 40 years of the three life sentences he was sentenced to for the murder of a single mother, Julie Salter, and the plotting of an aborted murder of a Seattle jewelry dealer. Both the murder and the plot are interwoven in scandal, vice, money, and a criminal cruelty against women, possibly as leverage against powerful men. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and this is episode 106 of The Dive. So what does redemption mean? And how easily can that idea be exploited? Lucas and I will unpack that question and the entire King's saga in just one moment. But first, here's what I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. Judge Michael W. Mossman has rejected demands that he reverse an order he issued last year limiting the time aid and assist patients could stay at the overflowing Oregon State Hospital to one year. Community hospitals and county prosecutors say that they've had to deal with the consequences, an unexpected flood of mentally ill criminal defendants that they are unable to either treat or try. Aaron Mesh reports that 2023 is off to a bleak start. Two terrifying public transportation incidents have left commuters chilled, a child being pushed from a MAX platform onto active train tracks, and a violent physical assault of an elderly man by an addict convinced the old man was a robot trying to kill him. Also, the woman charged with the burning of the Portland Korean Church in Southwest says she was commanded to do it by voices in her head who said they would mutilate her otherwise. Sophie Peel had the opportunity to sit down with newly elected Commissioner Rene Gonzalez to discuss his plans for Portland Fire and Rescue, which, it should be noted, controls not just the fire department, but also former Commissioner Hardesty's Portland Street Response Program, the program meant to siphon mental distress 911 calls away from Portland police and instead to professional, unarmed crisis teams. But that's just one point. Please, uh, read for yourself how Commissioner Gonzalez aims to organize his bureau in this week's edition of Willamette Week. Now let's chat with Lucas Manfield about the redemption of Robert King. Robert King, I guess I, it's unclear whether he prefers Bob or Robert, so we went with Robert. 
Um, but many people call him Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob King is, uh, he, he's like this 30 year old hustler basically who, um, he's from Alabama. He comes from a long line of, you know, fairly wealthy, influential lawyers, um, politically connected. Um, and somehow he ends up in, well, he, he ends up in Seattle because he marries the daughter of a, uh, council of a, uh, county councilman. And they moved back to Seattle and he has like a law degree, but he never ended up on the, never got a, never passed the bar exam, never took the bar exam, um, for somewhat questionable reasons. And, um, yeah, so he's in Seattle and he's just kind of, he's got guns, he's got money. He's telling people he is a drug smuggler, cocaine smuggler. He's telling people he works for the CIA and, uh, you know, some people believe him, some people don't. But no one seems really like some people don't like him. Some people are charmed by him. Um, but uh, he kind of just works his way into, you know, society in Seattle, um, kind of this hustler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he calls up this boyhood friend who's a contract murderer who he knows from his youth. And apparently the son, according to one source, like the son of the family made. Uh, That's so weird. And, yeah, it's weird, very weird. Um, and so Warren Hill, he flies Warren Hill up to Seattle and is convicted of having Warren Hill kill one person, a Lake Oswego mother, um, and plot to kill, supposedly was going to kill a jeweler. Mm-hmm. And there are rumors that he did much more. But those are the two things he was convicted for. He was also convicted for having Warren Hill he and Warren Hill robbing a dude at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets life sentences for all of these crimes. And it's like this super, like the trial's making news um, because it's just wild. Um, and so, yeah, he ends up sentenced to life in both Oregon and Washington. Um, and uh, he um, is paroled out of Washington, goes to Oregon, and has been in prison or jail for 40 years. And yeah, so he's been denied parole in the past, um, 2012. Um, he was, he went before the pro board, was denied, took it to court, fought it for 10 years, um, and is now going back before the pro board and they have said he's rehabilitated. So he passed the mm. first test and now he's pending essentially a second test, which is, is he dangerous? And one person who definitely thinks he's dangerous is Dorothy Bullitt, who during the trial basically kind of became embroiled with King. They were sort of in not the same social circles, but Dorothy's brother, was a friend of his and Dorothy's brother died in a very, very, very mysterious yacht, maybe accident, maybe who knows, but Dorothy thinks um, Bob King did it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of rumors swirling around at the time that happened. Obviously, King was never convicted of it or never even charged or, you know, but there was an investigation. And during the course of the investigation, Dorothy was essentially told by police that King was out to kill her. And so was not the killer. King was out to kill Dorothy. Was out to kill her. Oh yeah. shit! And Dorothy's father. And so she, understandably, terrified, and has remained terrified, you know, for all this time. But was somewhat reassured by the Ugh. fact that he was in prison. Mm-hmm. But now that his release is potentially upcoming, he's scheduled for release in May. Um. How old is uh Bob King now? He's seventy-two. He's seventy-two. Yeah. And what happened, whatever happened to Warren Hill? 
That is a great question, which didn't end up in the story. I will say that I have been, I mean, I can't confirm, like the Washington State didn't confirm, um, I believe he died in prison, but I haven't uh-huh. been able to confirm it. Uh-huh. Um, so I think it was a relatively, I think it was relatively recent. Okay. For sure. So he would have been up there too, like in his 70s? Yeah, there was some age. He was actually a bit older than Bob. The Bullet Brother murder. What What is the connection that made police, that led police to believe that Bob was out to get the bullets? Yeah. So basically, Ben was friends and business partners with Bob. Mm-hmm. And Bob and was bullet. kind of, Bob was like, uh, Bob King was a, I mean, he was a hustler. And part of his hustle was like, taking out fraudulent bank loans. And he kind of taught Ben Bullitt, who was, you know, signed with a very, very wealthy family, but Ben was a black sheep. He didn't really have much cash. Um, he kind of, you know, liked spending money freely. He needed cash. And so it sounds like they kind of like, they went in on, they borrowed money and Ben buys a boat. And with King bought the boat, or King would like facilitate the transaction of Ben buying the boat. Um, and... Ben was out partying one night when he disappears from the boat. And King, you know, wasn't on the boat at the time and, you know, wasn't, has never been like directly connected to the crime. But, you know, the, he was you know, obviously later connected to many other crimes. And so that kind of fueled suspicions. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Dorothy's father, Ben's, ben, Ben's father, Dorothy and Ben's father um, basically investigated King. Uh, he was himself like a lawyer and he you know wanted to know if king was involved in that in his son's death but he also was involved in a lawsuit against king because king ended up kind of it's unclear if he took or ended up with but a lot of ben's things and so Ooh. Um, their father wanted that stuff back so they were embroiled in a lawsuit um they were kind of uh dorothy would show up in court and watch king like watch you know all of the hearings and the trial and so basically bob king kind of felt that they were behind his legal troubles and they were very influential people back then and so he he kind of assumed like it sounds like he assumed or at least he told other inmates when he was in jail that he felt they were behind it and that he wanted revenge huh oh and that he wanted revenge oh, yeah God. and so like his he was basically the, the the plan that was foiled by another inmate and again this is all according to that inmate was that they were going, he was going to sneak out a murder contract in a fellow inmate's Bible. And it was going to be $5,000 murder contract. And they were going to have the fellow inmate's brother pull it off. Oof. It is cheap to get someone contract murdered. Is it me? That seems like not very much money to pay someone to murder someone else. Well, you know, inflation, it's just, it's, it's, it's killing us right now. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> what can you say? Uh, what, what has changed since, you said that Bob went up for parole in 2012. What has changed since then? Yeah, and that was, that was, you know, we spent a lot of time on this. Um, we boiled it down to, you know, three things. First of all is that, you know, um, Bob King's gotten older and older inmates are less risky. Uh, show and so the pro board is going to be more sympathetic yeah. to older so that is certainly in his favor um the second thing is that he got a new lawyer so kind of in the intervening decade um a bunch of you know like basically there's a uh, law clinic at lewis and clark 
that sure. became very involved in kind of defending these sorts of cases. And these cases don't pay much. Mm. They get paid like 1900 bucks to take on one of these. And like, maybe that sounds like a lot of money, but they're spending like up to like a hundred hours on yeah. each of these cases. And so for like a lawyer, this does not pay well. And so in the past, they didn't have great representation. Um, and I'm not, I don't know, if, you know, King's lawyer in the past, I don't, he didn't talk to me, so I don't know how good the job he did or not, mm. but the lawyers the King has now are very experienced at this and, you know, they're highly trained. And, um, so, you know, that works in his favor for sure. And then the final thing was he basically, so he's always, this is the wildest thing is that like, I mean, King was always a schemer and he was a charmer and he has apparently charmed at least some of the jail guards um because two of the jail guards uh, basically testified during his hearing saying essentially this guy was the best inmate they have ever had um and you know they, they, it, it was good i mean they had strong arguments right that this guy you know according to their telling was a model inmate. Mm-hmm. you know and he was it wasn't only a model inmate and in that he didn't do anything bad he actually actually would constantly rat out he did bad things and so anyway his the jail guards loved him and then the other thing we dug up was that king the joke the um several oregon jail guards and their union essentially sued kate brown um over the vaccine mandates oh, yeah and you know bob king also didn't like the vaccine mandates and he didn't like that a bunch of the jail guards didn't like the vaccine mandates and so he submitted testimony in that case in their favor mm-hmm 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 this kind of paints the picture of, well, I guess, do you think that this is rehabilitation or do you think that this guy is just incredibly like on his game? Well, I mean, the story obviously didn't come down one way or the other, because I mean, what is, what is that? I mean, in theory, the parole board should be the ones that decide this, this sure. is their job and they decided he's rehabilitated. So, I mean, what am I to argue? I mean, I will say, you know, I talked to a lot of people off the record about this story because understandably, you know, everyone, this is a very old case. Mm. And so people that are familiar with it, you know, are either, either like legal types that don't want to go on the record about it, or, you know, there are people that are scared of them and don't want to go on the record. Mm. But I will say that, you know, Bob King has a long history of malingering. Um, he has a long history of faking mental illness. Judges have called him out for it. Um, he's a schemer. And, you know, to Bob King's credit is that he claims that all of his problems stem from this like plane crash that resulted in this like mental, temporary mental illness. That was a temporary thing. But, you know, it really comes down to whether you think that was temporary or not. Yeah. Huh. You're talking to people off the record, they're off the record because they're scared of him in his upper area, in his 70 year old state. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they've been threatened by him in the past and they, they think he, continues to have the money and the wherewithal to continue huh. to pull off these yeah. crimes. Whether you believe that or not, I mean, but that's, that's the theory. Hmm. What was the, uh, what was the big takeaway from the story? Do you have one? I mean, the parole board is, I think, an under, I mean, it was my first time reporting on the parole board. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. I mean, the parole board has a very complex and difficult job. And the parole board, it's appointed by the governor. So it is very much at the political, it's at the whim of the political wills of the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it has a very, very tough job, right? I mean, like we're 
we're brainstorming now whether we think this guy's rehabilitated. I mean, they do that, you know, for a living every day. Stakes are much higher for them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So uh, it's not new. I didn't think about it before, but I certainly have an appreciation for what the parole board does, the difficulty of the job they have. Yeah. That's got to be so hard to weigh a man 10 years ago to now, but he's been in jail for 40. It's making me dizzy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's one. And the case itself is like, you know, it's not, it doesn't fall neatly. I mean, that's what's so interesting about this case is it doesn't, you know, when you have like the governor, like Governor Kate Brown or former Governor Kate Brown is like, you know, handing out like thousands and thousands of clemencies and yeah. pardons. And like a lot of them are like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like someone shouldn't still be, shouldn't still have that hanging over the head when, you know, drugs are illegal. Now, totally. Right? Um, but this certainly isn't one of those cases. It's not clear cut <laughs> no. in any way. Um, so that's, that's what makes it interesting. That's wild. Uh, what was left out? I mean, I think the biggest thing was like the history. I mean, there was just a lot of legal maneuvering. I mean, we have, I think, I, I didn't count. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of legal. legal. <sighs> I mean, like with the amount we left out is ridiculous. Like it's just the, and the amount of shenanigans. Okay. This is my favorite shenanigan that King, Bob King pulled off that we didn't put in there. My favorite Bob King scheme was that he, uh, he's in Clackamas County jail. And he's, you know, he, he's uh, he's about to go up. He's going up on trial for the, the murder in like Oswego um, of Julie Salter. And uh, he's pissed off with the DAs because they're, you know, aggressively pursuing conviction. And so his strategy is to, he fi- he gets their email, he gets not their emails, but they didn't have email back then. He gets their <laughs> mailing addresses and he sends out for magazine subscriptions at hundreds of places across the country and he writes in their names and they're just, it's just like signing up someone for a bunch of spam email services oh. and he's sending them, he's getting them all to send mail to the DA's office. And it wasn't just the DA, it was like the DA, it was the clerks, it was like a bunch of people in the court and like eventually a jail guard, like it wasn't even, and King wasn't doing it alone because it would be suspicious. I mean, it, this is totally King's MO is that it would be too suspicious if he was doing it. So he would rope in the other inmates to help him out. And finally, one of the jail guards opened up one of the inmates' mail. And it's just like, you know, hundreds of these uh, magazine subscriptions. Oh and, my- and- <laughs> <laughs> That's so petty. Oh, I my God. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Big thanks to this week's guest, Lucas Manfield, and thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye!